0: We're good, all right. it's great to be here uh, again, and to have my family with me and uh, my my kids running around like I used to here. Um, it's kind of special, and I apologize for any chaos they might cause later. so if you can take your Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter seven, Luke chapter seven and verse thirty six I was reading uh, the story recently of a man, you may have heard this story, back in June of 2015. Uh, he was accused of murdering nine people in a church in Charleston, South Carolina. You may have heard about this. He was in the Bible study on a Wednesday night, and at some point during that, stood up and began to open fire, and he uh, killed, or he was accused of killing uh, nine people in the story made international headlines, but so did what followed next. And as he appeared in court, the family members of some of the victims had the opportunity to speak to him directly. And one of them, the daughter of a woman who was, was killed, said this, and I quote. She said, you took something very precious from me. I will never talk to her again. I will never, ever hold her again but I forgive you. I forgive you. And you can imagine what it would have been like in that courtroom to hear this exchange as this, wo- this woman, this girl who lost her mother at the hands of this man, looks at him and says, I forgive you. It was this incredible act of grace that made international headlines. And the world is often shocked by grace. It often... Is surprised by it. It doesn't seem to understand it at times. It doesn't make a lot of sense. But for Christ followers, those of us who've experienced God's grace, grace is one of those things that needs to be the defining, one of the defining marks of who we are. It ought to be one of the primary fruits of our lives. It needs to be one of those things that, that really sets us apart from the rest of the world around us. Because we've received so much grace, we are therefore called to extend it to others. And this morning as we look at Luke chapter 7, I want us to draw our attention to grace. This morning as we prepare for Easter week and we look ahead to Good Friday and then to Easter Sunday, I want us to set our eyes on the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And in this story, what we're going to see is two people who, they step up, to the, to the pool of grace. They walk onto the diving board, as you've seen a child probably do, and one looks at grace and says, I don't want anything to do with that, and walks away. But the other dives in and starts swimming in the pool of God's grace, and her life is changed forever. The goal this morning is that you and I, together, would see the grace of God with fresh eyes. That we would look at the grace of God through Jesus Christ and be gripped by it in a new way. I don't know how long you've been following Christ, if you follow Christ, but the desire this morning is we would be gripped with fresh eyes again on the grace of Jesus Christ. And so, before we dive into this, let's uh, begin with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, I thank you uh, this morning for the grace that is available to us in Jesus Christ. Lord, you do not treat us as we deserve, but you have poured out your favor and your love and your compassion and your mercy upon us through your Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, thank you for that. And thank you for the opportunity we have again this morning to experience that, to to dwell in that, Lord. And I pray right now, by your Spirit, that you would grip our hearts again with this. That we would leave this place this morning excited about what we have received in Jesus Christ. There would be a new passion, a new longing for you, Lord. I pray as we look at this story from your Word, God, I pray that you would make it clear, that you would illuminate our eyes to this, Lord, and help us to understand and to hear and then to obey. Help me, God, right now in this moment, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Luke chapter 7. I'm going to read the passage for you, and then we'll jump into this together. Luke chapter 7, verse 36 says this. One of the Pharisees asked him, asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. When standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered, answering, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And Simon answered, Say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii, the other 50, and when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them would love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said to him, you've judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water from my feet, but she's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing me, kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell her, tell you, Her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this? Who even forgives sin? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let me uh, frame our message this morning uh, around this. We'll start with this. Uh, resisting grace. Resisting grace. We'll look at the Pharisee first and, and understand this point, that our pride will be what will prevent us from experiencing God's grace and extending it to others. Pride is the thing that hinders us, that causes us to walk up to the pool of grace and walk away. It's pride. Now look with me at verse 36 and notice how this plays out. It says that one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. Now the Pharisees, of course, were known as the strictest of Jews. They were known for their devotion to the law. Uh, They took pride in that. And as part of the Jewish customs of those days, it was a very common thing for a visiting rabbi or teacher like Jesus to be invited over for a banquet meal of some kind. And so here Jesus, in this story, is invited over uh, by this Pharisee, Simon, for a meal. And it says in verse 36 that he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now, one of the things you need to know about the Pharisees and Jesus, uh, as a way of reminder, mostly here, is that they didn't always get along, right? They tended to clash. They weren't the best of friends, as you see playing out in the Gospels at times. And so it's almost here, Luke is is saying, when he's saying that Jesus is invited over, he's almost, it's like he's saying, you better watch out here, because something's about to happen. Something's about to go down. And look at verse 37. It says, Behold, 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 which is a word which means, look, look over there. Look at that. Something unexpected, something shocking is happening. And what is it? Verse 37. Behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, begins to do the things that she does in this, in this moment. It says that she was weeping and wet his feet with her tears, wiping the, them with the hair of her, of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with ointment. I mean, can you imagine this scene occurring? Imagine this happened in your house this afternoon or, or tomorrow night. You have some guests come over for dinner. There's a special guest that you've brought over for dinner. And as you're sitting down at the dining room table or, or the kitchen table, the front door opens and in walks a woman that you kind of recognize, but you don't really know. And she walks up to your dinner guest... And she starts crying, and she starts kissing him, and then she starts spraying him with perfume. I mean, how many people would find that strange? You would call the police, right? Get her out of here. What is going on right now? And, and yet, this is what's happening. Now, in the first century, a banquet meal it was not uncommon uh, for people to come in off the streets to kind of observe. It wasn't a private meal. It was fairly public, to be honest. So in this case, the shock is not so much that the woman has come in But rather the shock is the kind of woman that has come in and is doing this. Now look back at verse 37 and you see how she is described. It says a woman of the city, she's a woman of the city. And that phrase essentially means that she's well known, she's got a reputation around town. For what? Notice verse 37. A woman of the city who was a sinner. Or the NIV says who lived a sinful life. Do you know anybody like that? I don't want any names right now, but do you know somebody who's got a reputation for the sinful life? In this case, we can't say for sure, but this woman is likely a well-known prostitute. Everybody knows what she does around town. Now check out the reaction in verse 39. The Pharisee, Simon, who had invited him, sees this. And he says to himself, if this man, if Jesus were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him for, for she's a sinner. She's lived a sinful life. I mean, the fact that a woman in the first century is letting her hair down in public is, is, is shocking. The fact that, that she's kissing a man who's not her husband is shocking, but here's this notorious prostitute walking in off the street and doing these things to jesus and simon looks at this and he says i thought this guy was supposed to be spiritual and and a prophet doesn't he know who he's dealing with and it's in this moment that simon is resisting grace it's in this moment that he is trapped in his pride his his pride is it, it's judgment. It's dripping with condemnation and and self righteousness towards this woman. And it's preventing him from experiencing God's grace, and extending it to others. You know, as as was mentioned earlier, I I serve in a prison ministry uh, on a regular basis, and so I have the opportunity to go into jail as a volunteer. All right, and. Um, just so we're clear. Um, and I get the opportunity and the privilege, to be honest, of meeting different kinds of people who've been accused of various crimes. And some of them are, are battling drug addiction. Over 75% of them are. Uh, many of them, a high percentage, are battling mental illness. So many of them, uh, both male and female, have been victims of, of childhood abuse. There's so much trauma that's occurred in the past. And, and the wrestling with shame and with the pain of all that And even so, even knowing that, when I go in uh, on Monday afternoons, one of the things I have to be very careful of is keeping my heart in check. Because one of the things that can happen is this attitude of of us versus them, of me versus them. They're in jail. I get to leave. That somehow I'm better than these people because, well, I'm not here. Does that make sense? You know what the problem with that is? Is that it's not grace. That's not Jesus. See, Jesus was known as a friend of sinners. He was known, he had a reputation for intentionally seeking out the people in the community who were known as the sinners of the day. And it was one of the things that drove the Pharisees nuts about Jesus. Why does he do that? Kind of makes me think of uh, Luke chapter 18. One of my favorite parables that Jesus tells the Pharisee again. He's going up to the temple to pray. Do you remember this story? And he looks around and and he sees a tax collector, kind of way over there, a sinner. And and that Pharisee looks and, and he's praying and he says he says this God, I thank you that I'm not like him. Wow. That's a prayer. God, I thank you that I'm not like that guy. Have you ever prayed that? I'm so glad that I'm not like that man, God. Lord, thank you that I'm not like that woman. Thank you that I'm not like the people who go to that church. I mean, it's a prayer that's, that's filled with pride and, and self-righteousness. It's a prayer absent of grace. Jonathan Edwards uh, once said this, he said, He who tends to think he is eminent compared with others and more distinguished in Christian experience is bound to be mistaken. He is no eminent saint, but merely living in the delusion of a proud and self-righteous spirit. And so as we begin to look at grace this morning, you and I both, we need to understand that the, the thing that will keep us from grace, both from experiencing it and then extending it to others, is our own pride our spiritual pride and to understand that at the at the cross of Jesus Christ the ground is level as we look to friday the ground is level there is no one better or worse in the sight of god jesus came not just for the sin of the person beside you he came for uh, for the sin of you as well and for me and all of us are broken Some, it's just more obvious. All of us are broken. Some just hide it better. And it's only pride and self-righteousness that cause us to resist grace. The experience of it and the extension of it uh, to others. And so that's where we begin this morning, kind of on a down note. The resisting of grace. So let's turn from that. Let's turn from pride and move on then to the picture of grace, to picturing grace. And here's a definition of grace. It's not my own kind of mashed it together, and and I like it. It says this, The grace is the unearned and undeserved favor of God that I have received in Christ in light of what I owed. The unearned and undeserved favor of God that I have received in Christ in light of what I owed. Now, look back to the text with me in verse 40. Notice what happens next in the story. Jesus answers Simon. He says, Simon, I have something to say to you. Now, I love how Jesus responds here. It's, it's We've got this pride-filled, self-righteous thing happening with Simon in his heart right now. And and Jesus responds with grace. He could have hammered Simon in this moment. He could have said, Simon, I've got something to, to tell you, and just smacked him upside the head, right? He could have done that. But he says, Simon, I have something to tell you. And what does he do? What does he do? He responds with grace. He responds by telling him a story, because everybody loves a story. Verse forty-one. He says this: A certain moneylender Simon had two debtors. One owed five hundred denarii, the other owed fifty. And when they could not pay, he canceled them both. So he tells this story of two people who owed money, and they owed denarii. Which was a Roman silver coin worth about a day's wage for a common laborer. The first man owed 500 of these, about 500 days of wages. The other, 50, about two months of wages. And so it's a story of two guys that owe debt at various levels. Now, I think to some extent, if we're all kind of regular people in Canada, we can identify with a story about debt, right? Most of us have a mortgage. Uh, Some of us have car payments. Some of us have a line of credit going and, you know, I I was reading earlier a couple months ago about the debt in Canada and just found it fascinating that as of 2015, a total consumer debt in this country is 1.88 trillion dollars. Credit card debt, 77 billion. Average credit card debt, 3,700. Average total debt and rising is $92,700 for people. And so Jesus here is telling this story about two people who, who owe some money, and, and I don't know about you, I've got a mortgage, so I'm like, okay, I, I can get this story a little bit. And so what does he say? Well, notice that he cancels the debt. Verse 42. When the, they could not pay, he cancelled the debt. How fantastic would that be? Imagine tomorrow we wake up and the newspaper says, all the money lenders in Canada have cancelled our debts. I mean, how many people are for that, right? fantastic, there'd be parties in the street tomorrow, it'd be like a national holiday, it'd be tremendous. And Jesus, he says this, he says, now which of them will love him more? Kind of a strange question. Which of these two guys, having had their debts canceled, are going to be more grateful or thankful for having their debt paid? And Simon, verse 43, answers and he says, well, it's, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said, you have judged rightly. Now what is Jesus doing here in this moment? I mean, it's a, it's a parable, so it, it's, it's, he's trying to make a point, right? And it's not so much a story about money, he's trying to get Simon in this moment to understand grace. He's using a picture of money to paint a picture of God's grace, of the undeserved and unearned favor of God that we have received through Jesus in light of what we owed. And so what, what is he trying to teach right now? Well, notice these three things. Number one, that each one of us owes a debt to God because of our sin. Each one of us owes a debt to God because of our sin. Isaiah 59 verse 2 says that Our iniquities have made a separation between you and God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he does not hear. The Bible tells us that because of our sin, if we have not trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of that sin, we owe a debt to God that we cannot pay. And secondly, in this parable, we're learning that there's nothing that you and I can do to repay that debt. No amount of good works or good intentions will repay that debt of sin on our own. And so, number three, the only hope for us, then, is that the debt be canceled that the moneylender, that God in this case, would cancel our debt. And that is what the cross of Jesus Christ is all about. That's why we're gearing up for Easter, because it is the story of God stepping into our brokenness, into our sinfulness, sending His own Son, because He loved us so much, even while we were still enemies, even while we were still sinners. He came and gave His life. Why? So that He would pay our debt for us. So that we would be forgiven. And that's the good news. That's why we have Easter next weekend, is to to remember that and to celebrate that together, that our debt has been paid through the gift of God's grace through Jesus Christ. And for Simon, he didn't get this yet. He didn't understand this truth yet. He had not understood the magnitude of what he owed to God because of his sinfulness. And he figured he was doing whatever God wanted him to do. I'm checking the boxes. i got the commands sorted out and even more being faithful, and yet he was living in a delusion. And the prostitute woman, in this case, she understood the debt that she owed. She was a sinner, and everybody knew it, including herself. And there was no doubt in her mind the extent of what she owed to God. It was part of the reason why she was acting the way that she was. And that's the picture of grace that we're going for. The recognition that Because of what I owe God, the undeserved favor and the unearned favor of God I have received through Jesus Christ. The reason why I know him is not because I earned it, not because I did anything special, not because I was smart enough to put up my hand or or walk an aisle or pray a prayer in summer camp. The reason is, is because God in his mercy opened my eyes and helped me to see that. And as a result, I can now experience that grace, the immeasurable grace that God has lavished upon us. And that leads us to this final thing this morning. It's the experience of God's grace. Experiencing grace. Experiencing the reality of God's grace will fuel your love for Jesus. As you experience God's grace and reflect on it, it'll fuel your love for Jesus. Look at verse 44. Then turning to the woman, Jesus said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she hasn't ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. What is Jesus doing here in this moment? Well, he's drawing a contrast between Simon and the woman. And he starts with Simon. He's saying, Simon, I came here for dinner. You invited me over, and and you didn't give me any water or a kiss or any kind of oil. You say, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, in Jewish culture, these were common acts of courtesy, of hospitality. When a guest came over, you'd give them some water to sponge off the dust from a from a long journey, perhaps before they reclined at your table. You'd give them a kiss on the cheek or on the hand as a, as a sign of respect. You'd give them some oil and anoint them as a sign of joy. And then the guest would rub that on their face and on their hair as they came in from the hot sun. These were common, not necessarily required, but common acts of courtesy extended to a guest. It would be, in our culture, like uh, somebody comes over and you take their coat... You shake their hand, you show them where the bathroom is, you offer them a drink, and you engage them in conversation. You're like, of course, of course I would do that. And in this case, Simon had done none of that. He had essentially ignored Jesus. But in contrast, check out the woman here. It's the complete opposite. When she saw Jesus, she used her tears to wash his feet. From the time she walked in, she didn't stop kissing his feet. And finally, she took ointment, not oil, but ointment, uh, very expensive ointment, probably worth 300 days of wages, and and poured it on Jesus, anointed him. It was was an incredible different response, an opposite response from what Simon had done here. Now notice, then, um, why Jesus is doing this. This is kind of the key verse, verse 47. Jesus says, therefore... Here's the point. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven loves little. He who is forgiven little loves little. Now, notice two things that Jesus does in this moment. Number one, notice that he acknowledges her sin. He says, her sins, which are many. Grace is not the uh, glossing over of sin. Grace is not the, I'm just going to ignore sin. Jesus doesn't do that. He acknowledges it. But then he steps into, moves into into a moment of incredible grace. And here we see this incredible truth for you and I this morning, that no matter how far we've gone, no matter how much we're like this woman in this story, the grace of God is available to us. No matter what your journey has been over the number of years you've been here, God's grace is greater. It's greater uh, than our sin. We can be forgiven. And that is such good news and encouragement for us this morning, that God's grace extends beyond anything we've ever done. Notice, secondly, that her response then speaks to her experience of grace. He says, her sins, which are many, are forgiven for she loves much. Now, don't miss this. Jesus is not saying that the reason why her sins are forgiven is because she loved him. He's not promoting works that you have to work for the that's not what he's talking about he's saying that this is her response to the experience of grace in her life this is why she is responding the way she is because she's encountered the grace of Jesus Christ we have a gas fireplace in our in our living room and uh, we moved into our house last summer and uh, and we bought it privately and I had the house inspection and I talked to the homeowner and he said yep Gas fireplace is working. He even turned it on for me. I said, "Great, wonderful." And then when the temperature dropped in the fall, we went to turn it on, and there was a pilot light, but I couldn't get the thing going. And 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 it was like it's on, but it's not burning the way I want it to burn. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't burning at the level I wanted to. And and it got me thinking, you know, about our spiritual life in Jesus Christ. I've been following Christ now for thirty. Four years and counting. And I've worked for many years in ministry now, both in the church and now in, in prison a ministry world. And I don't know about you, but, but there are days when I just get frustrated with myself. I get frustrated with myself over my lack of love for Jesus sometimes. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe just me? Somebody nod your head. Yes, that's me. Oh, good, good. You're normal, just like the rest of us. And why am I not more engaged when i 'm in worship why Why is my prayer life the way it is sometimes why why don 't I get so excited about this the way I want to at times and and it 's like that little flame it 's burning, but it 's not burning the way I want it to now just for the record um, i think self reflection is good, but i don 't think beating yourself up over apathy is good i don 't think God wants us to destroy ourselves over apathy He wants us to destroy our apathy and and begin to love him more in jesus christ he wants us to focus not on our sin but on our savior and and fuel our love for jesus so how do we do that how do we have a response like this woman well there's no formula to it i wish there was i love a good formula there's no formula there's no do this do this do this and then you, you'll look like her doing this that's not how it works. But I do understand this, that one of the ways our love for Christ begins to grow, the flame begins to burn a little more brightly, is that we we look at the cross, we look at the grace of God through Jesus Christ, and we remember what we've received. That in Christ, I have been set free from the power and the penalty of sin. That I've been given the gift of eternal life. That my name is written in the book of life in heaven that I have hope for all eternity, that I have peace with God, that I'm loved unconditionally by Him, that I have purpose now in my life, something to live for that matters for all eternity, that I have peace knowing that regardless of what happens to me in my life, God is with me and has my back. And I've been given another day today to serve Him. And as you sit back and you think about that, what starts to happen? The flame starts to burn a little more brightly, doesn't it? Our love uh, for Christ begins to grow. We, we begin to become a bit more like that woman who wants to fall at the feet of Jesus and just say, thank you, Lord, for what you've done for me. Thank you for, for, for all that you've done. See, this is the point that Jesus is making. In contrast to Simon, this woman, a notorious sinner, has experienced the reality of grace, and as a result, it's feeling this unashamed love for Jesus Christ. It's the reason why she's acting the way she is. And the story continues in verse 48 and Jesus says to her this incredible statement. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. She has been set free. It's dealt with. It's done. Now check out the reaction in verse 49 of, of the people as they see this. It says those who are at the table are like, who is this guy? Who is this who, who even forgives sins? There's buzz in the room at this point and, and they're wondering, well, they know. The only person who has the right to say what Jesus just did is God himself. And they're understanding that Jesus right now is putting himself in the place of God. And as we consider the grace of God in Jesus Christ, we need to make sure we see Christ uh, rightly, see him properly. That he is not merely a prophet or a great teacher, Jesus is God himself in the flesh who came to die on the cross so that we could be forgiven. He is the only one, the only one who can look at us and say, your sins are forgiven. There is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. And once we understand that and believe that by faith, then we can receive those incredible words. And Jesus in this moment then turns and he says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Go in peace. For those of you who are here this morning who by faith have trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of sin, that is the promise for you today. Your faith has saved you. Your sins are forgiven. You can go in peace. You know, this morning as we close, I want to uh, close with a quote from, uh, from an author, Mark Buchanan. Um, he wrote, uh, he's written a number of books. I find his... Uh, his, his writing challenging, makes me think a lot. But I love this line from uh, one of his books, more recent books. He said this, Jesus doesn't demand that we first sort ourselves out and clean ourselves up before we dare step into the light. Instead, he invites us to step into the light in order to get sorted out and cleaned up. It's impossible to clean up a mess in the dark. I love that. God this morning is not looking at us and saying, it's time for you to get your act together. And once you do that, come and see me. That's not who God is. He's not looking at us with condemnation and and wagging his finger. He's not saying, oh, I'm so disappointed that you are not living up to what I've called you to. No, instead, he's a God of compassion who says, come just as you are. Come in your brokenness. Come in your sin. Come with all the burdens that you're carrying. And I will give you rest. I will pour out my grace. I will pour out my compassion upon you. I will love you with an everlasting love. And so this morning, as we look to the cross of Jesus Christ again, God invites us to come as we are to that throne of grace to find help in our time of need. And maybe we're like the Pharisee of it this morning, struggling in pride, struggling to maybe extend grace to somebody. God wants you to bring that to him so that he can help you in that. Or maybe you're here this morning and you're struggling with the shame of, of whatever's been going on. And God says, bring that to me. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no shame. And so let's pray together as we close. Father, we thank you this morning. For the cross of Jesus Christ. We thank you, God, for the grace that is ours in Christ Jesus. God, I thank you this morning. I thank you this morning, God, that you are merciful and gracious. You are slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Thank you, God, that you do not deal with us according to our sin, nor repay us according to our iniquity but as far as the east is from the west is as far as you've removed our transgressions from us. And God, that is your amazing grace this morning. The grace that has been poured out in Christ Jesus into our lives. And Lord, as we step into Easter week now, Lord, as we begin to prepare for Good Friday, when we remember the sacrifice that you've made for us, that you stood in our place, you bore our sin and our shame, that we might receive a life everlasting God, we just want to look to you and, and, and be refreshed again this morning in, in the grace of God. Help us, Lord, to see it with fresh eyes. Do the work right now only you can do in our hearts. And as we respond, help us to respond with love and gratitude and compassion. We thank you for hearing this prayer. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. After week, I just pray that God would continue to remind us of the grace that we've just sung about that Jesus Christ went to the cross to stand in our place. And as a result, we have been given so much. And so may this be a very meaningful week for you. Uh, I'll be back next Sunday and looking forward to celebrating with you the incredible uh, grace of God in Jesus Christ and the empty tomb. Have a great week.